0: Well, good morning. It is really my privilege to be able to talk to you this morning. I'm uh, kind of excited to be able to talk from the book of John this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to the Gospel of John. And as always, there is a Bible app event for this message. You can follow along that way. That would be to your advantage. We'll look back at this passage numerous times this morning. We'll look at other passages. Those are in that Bible app event, and I'll also have them on the screen. Uh, you can look that way if you want to. So I would say regarding Christmas that most of us have things we absolutely love about the holiday and we have things that we could do without, right? Like, let me just ask this. What's something you love about Christmas? Say it again. The music? The music. Yeah. All right. And is there anyone who's like the, the music? Uh, not so much. Anybody like that? No? Yeah. Co- yeah a couple. <laughs> Ebenezer. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what do you like about Christmas? Somebody else? Christmas the Christmas lights. Ah. Yeah. We'll talk about those in a minute. Okay. Okay. What do you got? What do you like about Christmas. Spending time with family. That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. One more. Erla? Cookies. Cookies. Yeah. How many like cookies? Those are good, right? Yeah. I like the cookies for sure. Yeah. You know, um, for me, when I think about what do I like best about Christmas, of all the things we do at Christmas, for me, I'm going to put on a screen. This is my favorite part of Christmas. Yeah, a couple of you are nodding saying, yeah, that Christmas Eve service at Kermansville Alliance, it is just such a, a neat thing. I mean, what could be better than sitting with your friends, having fire in your hand, candle in your hand, in the darkness of the sanctuary, and, and singing Silent Night to the guitar together, all three verses of that. Yeah, Christmas. Uh, I love that, that candle service. I'm gonna tell you what I absolutely hate about Christmas. And Donna said it. It's just sinking lights. Right? Did you ever hear that song, "The Twelve Things of Christmas"? It's such a pain to me. You know, the lights are right on there. He says, "Stringing up the lights." Remember that? (laughs) One burns out, they all go out. Yeah, yeah. I hate those Christmas lights. Yeah, but you really can't have Christmas without them. We have Christmas lights. You know, you have Christmas lights. We all seem to have them because light, light is a huge part of Christmas. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're thinking about the lights. Today we're talking about walking in the light, and I'd like us to read this first 18 verses of John chapter 1. So follow along as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me just interject here. He's talking about Jesus. John is writing about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, that guy, pause, that guy is John the Baptist. So, John the Apostle He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's the Christmas part of this message. Verse 14, the Word For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is the closest in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. You can see when John is writing there, he's beginning this narrative where he's going to talk to us about this person, Jesus, and he's going to track his life all the way from this beginning, In the beginning was the word, all the way to Calvary, all the way to the tomb, all, all the way to the resurrection. And the first thing he wants you to understand, he has some things that are really important. The first thing he wants you to understand is that this word, this Jesus is God. Another thing that he wants you to understand is he made everything, There's something else that is in this collection of things that John wants you to understand is Jesus is light. We read through on a Thursday night small group, we read through the book of John and Matt Molesky came one evening. We were still at Milton's house in Milton's family room in his basement and, and Matt came in and he said, I've been listening and listening and listening to the gospel of John and I just hear light, 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 light. What that tells you is that John never had to mess with a string of lights that you get at Walmart." Now, what it tells you is that Jesus is the light. He is the light. I'm not saying Jesus is a light. John's not saying that either. John says Jesus is the light, in verse 4, of all mankind, of all humankind, of everyone. Jesus is the light for everyone, the universal light. You can think of that in terms of geography. You know, think of the continents. Jesus is the light for people in Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Nebraska, Kansas. No one caught that those last two were not continents. So you can think of it in terms of race. That Jesus is a God for every people, for everyone, for the human race. But probably the way you should think of it is in terms of need he is the light for everyone who needs him and everyone needs him. He's the light of the one who is living a dream and he's the light of the one who feels like they're living a nightmare. He's the light for the one who is surrounded by friends and family and he is the light of the one that is missing friends and family. He is the light for the one who studies the Bible and prays every day and he's the light for the one that has trouble doing that every day verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is light for everyone because everyone's in the dark. Candles, they're so popular at Christmas. We have all four of the Advent candles lit. You know, on Christmas Eve, we're going to light that Christ candle, take that candle light out and give it to you. Can't wait for that. Candles are a a, a, a real popular thing at Christ- Christmas, but, you know, Jesus is not a candle. He is way more powerful than a candle. You know, I used to work as a policeman, as campus policeman, at a Christian college. You want to know that's pretty easy. That's just one notch above babysitting. That's kind of what that is, right? We had everything, though. We had guns. Can you believe that? And and we had a, we had a squad car, and, and we had that bright spotlight. It was a gazillion candle power, you know? And, and the squad car had a bench seat in it. Right in the middle of the seat, there was a recessed place that you could put that that um, spotlight down in. You could just put it, lower it right in there, and that's where we kept it when we drove around. It was like that spot was made for that light, but actually, it was made by that light because somebody left it on, and it got really hot, and it melted a hole right through the, right through the bench seat. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's wonder it didn't go out in a blaze of glory, right? Powerful light will do that sort of thing. Jesus is a powerful light. And I say that because of what it says in verse five. In verse five, it says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We talk a lot about how often we feel like darkness is winning. I've mentioned it in sermons here. Don't you feel sometimes like darkness is winning? It came up Thursday night in a small group. It just feels sometimes like darkness is winning.. Huh. The light light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness wants you to think it can overcome the light. Spirits of darkness would like us to think that they are the winners, that they are the victors, but darkness does not win. There is only one time in all of Scripture that I can think of where God seems to say that darkness is winning. Do you know where that is? it's that Jesus arrests. In Luke chapter 22, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to put the portion on the screen that I want to draw your attention to. Let me just give you a little fill-in on what's happening in Luke 22. A mob has come to the Garden of Gethsemane. They are here to arrest Jesus, and Judas betrays him with the kiss. And, And there's an incident with some swords, and there's sword play, and the servant of the high priest gets his ear cut off by one of Jesus' followers. And well, and Jesus, in the middle of all that, he says, stop it. And he puts an end to the violence and he reaches out and he restores that person's ear. And and then he addresses the mob. Listen to what he says in verse 53. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. That word reigns means has the power, rules, is in control, is winning. This is that moment, your hour, when darkness reigns. I want you to think about that for a moment. <laughs> how does that happen? How does darkness get to have the power? How does darkness get to be winning? How, how does darkness overthrow light? I'm going to say it only happens when the light says it can happen. That's the only time. And I say that because of what Jesus says. Just a few hours after this, Jesus will be standing in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate will be an agent of darkness at that very moment. And Jesus will say to him, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even when darkness reigns, God is still in control. God is still winning. Because the light, it is a powerful light. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Strangely enough, and sadly enough, Jesus is the, wait, was that light? Light. (laughs) I say that because it says that some people don't recognize him. Verse 10 says he was in the world, and though he, the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. And John doesn't want you to miss the irony of that. How ironic is it that that which was created by the light doesn't notice the light when it's there among them? It's just kind of crazy. It feels impossible. I mean, thinking about, think about being in a really dark place, maybe a warehouse or a basement or something like that. The thing is, if someone comes through the door with a flashlight, starts spotting around, it's pitch black until they open that door and come in with a flashlight, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. They don't even have to have a flashlight. They could have a cell phone and come walking in and just the light from the phone on their face. You, they don't even have to have that. They could have a phone and it's just got that little beeper like your wife texted you, are you ever going to answer her? You know, that light, you know? On the, Just a little tiny LED. It it pierces the darkness. But here it is. (laughs) Here it is. The light is among that which it created, that which he created, and the created doesn't notice. The created doesn't see it. How does the world miss it? Well, one answer is, some just don't want him. The very next verse, verse 11, says, He came to that which was his own. His own did not receive him. So even ones who should recognize him don't. And Jesus kind of explains why in John 3.19. You know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you know the very next verse, John 3.17, so God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. A couple verses later, you read this. Jesus says, this is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. There are people (laughs) who love evil and reject good. There are people who love darkness and reject light. And for them, Jesus is a, wait, that was light? Light. Because they don't want it. They're not looking for it. But those who are looking for it, those who do want light, he is the rewarding light for them. In verse 12, it talks about them. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent or of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Whoa, pause. He gave those who received the light kinship. He made them his children. He adopted them. He made them children of the king, heirs of the kingdom. Does it get any better than that? The short answer is no. It doesn't get any better than that. What does the Christmas card say, that one? It says, wise men still seek him. Yeah. And they receive grace. Verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And as we spend time with Jesus, we begin to recognize that this light is a glorious light. It's glorious. Verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. Well, what glory is that, John? Glad you ask. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory. What is that anyway? (laughs) You know, Drew just stepped out, so I'm going to sing and he won't even know. Gloria. The shepherds like those really long phrases. Oh, it was the angels, right? They're singing that, right? Glory. What is glory? Well, it's something that angels sing about. It is something that athletes long for and celebrities strive for. The glory of winning the game or winning the award. I've heard people suggest that God will give glory to you and me one day, and I understand what they mean. They're thinking about how to hear him say, well done. (laughs) That'll be glorious. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, but that's hardly the kind of glory we're talking about here. In fact, I believe that for we humans, there's actually something preferable to us receiving glory if we will only see its preferableness. Preforality, you come up with a the noun there. I think that being in God's presence and having his radiant glory shining around you and upon you, that will be real glory. Ah, oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. When by his grace, I shall look on his face. That will be glory. I hunger for that, don't you? I mean, I long for that radiance, for that light. I want to be able to just bathe in that light, his glory, the glory of the lamb that lights the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. There's no sun or moon because his glory lights it up. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus reveals that to you and me in small ways right here and now. He is that light. No one has ever seen God, verse 18 says, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus is the light. And walking in that light, that is a beautiful walk. That's a beautiful walk. The same John that wrote this account, we believe, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John from which we read a short time ago also wrote three letters, three epistles, in the New Testament. In the first one of those, in the first chapter of those, John speaks about walking in the light. He says in 1 John one five, this is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, walking in the light. So before I married Laurel, on more than one occasion, I would get up in the morning and get dressed and go to school or go to work or go to wherever I was going, and someone would make this remark to me, did you get dressed in the dark this morning, Steve? (laughs) Because somehow or other, I guess my tie didn't match my shirt or something like that. I'll tell you to this day, my wife hangs up the tie and the pants and the shirt that I am to wear Sunday morning because she wants it to be a little less hard on your eyes. (laughs) Yeah. If you get dressed in the dark, I guess that would be likely to happen, that it would show. And if you walk in the dark, it will show. Maybe you don't recognize it at first, but others will see it. But when you walk in the light, then you have this significant measure of self-awareness. Like you just see all of a sudden, whoa, I'm not matching here. Like maybe my speech isn't matching what I want my heart to show. Maybe my, my actions and my, my attitude doesn't match that of Jesus who I have asked to come and live within me. Maybe the way I'm behaving is a mismatch. Walking in the light will show you that. It brings you a self-awareness. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 18, the Bible's talking about people who don't know God and it says that they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What he's saying is that they don't have self-awareness because they're walking in darkness. Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, a very popular devotional that has been used by countless Christians through the years, he said this, He said, no one fully knows what sin is until he's born again. That is because until you're walking in the light, you're not going to be aware of what what needs to be corrected in you. And so you have to step into the light to become aware of it. And that awareness is so essential. A friend of mine, Rob Reamer, who wrote Soul Care, he says, you will never rise above the level of your self-awareness. The things that we deny about ourselves are the very things that deny us from the fullness of God. Walking in the light gives you a healthy level of self-awareness. When you're walking in the light, it gives you a, a, a specific new ability to kind of avoid danger. Did you read uh, in the news about Titan? It's a sad story. Titan, the police dog in Johnstown. Anyone know what I'm talking about? A couple of you? Yeah. So it was a year ago that this happened, and uh, because it was exactly a year ago, or about a year ago, it was... Uh, being replayed by the news. Titan, um, a canine, uh, assisting police, he was a police dog, he was assisting bol- a police in a burglary uh, that was in progress at the Goodwill Warehouse in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And Titan, this canine, fell down an elevator shaft in that old warehouse to his death. And that makes me sad, because I like dogs. I-, I got to wondering about that, though. Dogs are pretty smart, <laughs> And they're pretty agile. I mean, they're not cats in that regard, but they're not clumsy generally. How did he fall down that elevator shaft? I grew up with a German shepherd, and I grew up on a farm, and we had barns. A neighbor's barn had several stories, and that last story, to get up into it, he had to climb a ladder and go through a hole that was probably, I don't know, two by two or two and a half by two, And when I was a kid, I picked up my 70 to 90-pound German Shepherd, and I climbed up that ladder with him to get him up to the top because we were going to go play up there. That was the easy part. Getting that boy to go down that hole, that was a whole different bundle right there. But, you know, I was a kid, and we made it happen. (laughs) Yeah. How in the world does Titan fall down an elevator shaft? My dog won't even go near a hole. I know what it is. That burglary in progress? The call came in at 4.20 a.m., Titan was in the dark. He had no idea that it was there. Titan didn't have a flashlight. And he died because he could not see the danger of the elevator shaft. Walking in the dark can be dangerous, even for a police dog. But if you walk in the light, if you follow Jesus, then you'll be kept safe. I mean, the 23rd Psalm says it well when it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can you find a darker place than that? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, your rod and staff, God, they comfort me. This is why Laurel and I kept our children in church. It wasn't because I was the pastor. I would say to my children many, many times, we're going to church, and it's not because dad's the pastor. You'd be going anywhere because dad's a Christian and mom's a Christian. That's why. We took them to Mahaffey because we wanted them to find light, to church camp. We encouraged them to hang around with Christian friends because we wanted them to find light. We looked for churches for them to attend when they went to college. My son completes his master's degree and moves to Albuquerque, New, ne- New Mexico. What do you think dad's doing? I'm online finding him a church. Don't go to that one. This is a good one. Stay away from that one. This is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. He's an adult. Why am I doing that? Because this world is a dark and dangerous place. That's why I'm doing it. And you don't want to be walking around in the dark. And when you walk in the light, it helps you avoid danger. It also creates, this is kind of a goofy point, but the point isn't goofy the way I phrase it is. Light brings creativity and productivity. When I was in college, I took a class. It was a counseling class called Death and Dying. Doesn't that sound like the class you'd always want to take, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the assignments in that class was to write your own um, obituary. And what we did is we just read other obituaries and plugged our name in and handed in in the assignment because we weren't really there to learn and it wasn't a well-managed exercise. Here's what we should have done. Instead of our own obituary, we should have written our own eulogy. You know the difference? The eulogy is what the pastor says for anywhere from five to 10 minutes regarding your 60, 70, 80, 90 years on earth here. What would he say? That would have been a good exercise for us. I've uh, been with some of you when your loved one has died. So some of you know how I do this. I go to the, the family and I try to sit with them if I can I tell them it'll take twenty minutes, and I usually have to get them out of there in forty minutes because it's a good exercise for them. It's a healing exercise for them, actually. And um, I have a list of questions. I used to have a dozen questions. That list is at fourteen now that I ask them about the deceased. So tell me about your dad. What what would be some adjectives you would use to describe your dad? You would be surprised how many times this one comes up. It's the first one, stubborn. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ask them things like, what kind of hobbies did they have? You know, any bumper stickers on their car? What would I see on the wall in the garage besides the girls in bikinis with tools? What else would I see? What, what? you know, is there something inside his toolbox? Did he, what about mom? Did she, what'd she have in her sewing room or what did she have in her kitchen? Um, what what kind of pictures were hanging on the wall? Tell me about that. And, and I ask them those questions and they give me information. Then I ask them hard questions. These are the hard questions. I tell them, these are the hard questions, and a lot of times you won't have an answer for this question. And and there's actually three of them. The first one is this. What achievement could I speak of that would make that person's eyes light up? How do you feel like you're a better person because they influenced you? What life lesson did they teach you? (laughs) I have received some great answers to those questions. You want to see her eyes light up, Pastor? You just ask her about the 60 years of teaching Sunday school she did. Her eyes will light up then. Influence. (laughs) Well, I am a better person because he taught me how God loves. He loved me. My dad did, even when I screwed up really bad. Life lessons. (laughs) My mom, she taught me to treat people with dignity and respect no matter how big a jerk they were. (laughs) Yeah. You can't do those things if you're walking in darkness. You can't have those achievements. You can't have that influence. You can't have those life, life, life lessons if you're walking in darkness. But when you walk in the light, it flows. Sometimes these are the longest part of our time together because that person has walked in the light and they have great achievements that make their eyes light up and they've had great influence and, and have taught great life lessons. There's one more beautiful thing about walking in the light. It's the one most people think of first. It gives eternal life. It gives eternal life. When you turn your heart to Jesus and you trust in his death for your sin, you begin to walk in the light and in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Eternal life gift given you by the light of the world, by Jesus. How are you doing at walking in the light? How do you walk with Jesus? You know, it's a figure of speech. You're not literally picking up your feet and putting them down. It's about how you live. And I think it's essential that you begin with something that someone mentioned it yet again in a small group I was at recently, that the walk with Jesus actually begins with humbling yourself to admit that you need him. Humbling yourself enough to admit that you're in darkness. You humble yourself when you come to the cross and ask God to forgive you because of Jesus' death for you. You set aside the silly things like, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I try to do my best. I think I do a pretty good job. You set all of that pride aside and you say, when it comes right down to it, I got a lot of darkness in my life and I need to be forgiven for it. And I understand that Jesus died for me. And you choose to turn away from it, so that you have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. Ephesians five eleven says, "You humble yourself, you trust Christ, you ask Him to forgive you." Well, some people that's kind of where it ends. Yeah, I did that. Okay, all done. Whew. Cool. Let's go watch them stellars, right? <laughs> wow, there's so much more. Don't cheat yourself that way. There's so much more. Walking in the light means learning from his word, how to walk well, because his word is a flashlight. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I cannot consider myself to be a student of Abraham Lincoln if I know nothing of Abraham Lincoln and never read or learn anything about him. I cannot consider myself a fan of the NBA if I don't even know who King James is. I cannot consider myself as one who's walking in the light but is void of knowledge about who the light is and what he might have to say. And so I read his word. We are so spoiled as a generation. You know that 600 years ago, Only the elite could read the Bible. And even then, they had to go in and stand and read it in a church. Only those who were skilled in Latin could understand it. I'll bet that in my pocket, in my cell phone, I have downloaded at least three translations and have access to dozens and dozens of them. So, yeah, I read his word so I know how to walk with him. I listen to sermons. I listen to a lot of sermons. Some of them I read, some of them I hear. Sometimes I've listened to so many sermons, sometimes I'll be saying a sentence and I'll say, whoa, that sounded just like Craig Groeschel was talking there. You know? It never does. Because Craig, he talks different than I do. But anyway. I, I attend small groups, Bible studies. I read books about walking with Jesus. Because walking in the light means getting into his word. Third, walking in the light, walking with Jesus means interacting with his people. I can't think of a small group at Kermensville Alliance that uses a lecture format. This is the only lecture format that we have. Even Sunday nights when we get together, we sit, I put the chairs in a circle. That's kind of a pain to have to do that rearranging, but I do it because I want you to interact with one another because that's really healthy. That's really healthy there are times i could say something but if one of my elders who maybe had a 23% of his body burned or another of my elders who lost his dad or another of the men who has lost a loved one if they say it it's so much more powerful than if i say it interacting with god's people is so helpful that's why I spend time with believers. I connect with pastors once a month, a group of pastors. It's me, it's Bernie Neffley, it's Bob Goldenberg uh, from Clearfield Alliance, it's um, Scott Hartsog from Phillipsburg, it's Dan Beeman from Carthus, it's Brian Smeal from Brookville, and it's Bob Flaherty from uh, Ridgeway. And we get together once a month uh, because that's a great way to grow for me as a human being. I get together with guys for breakfast. I got together with Vern Robinson for breakfast this past week. We went to Spanky's. He had, he had those biscuits with that sausage gravy poured over them. My mouth was watering just talking about it. I saw the oatmeal on the, on the menu and decided instead to get the extra large object, op, omelet that was filled with sausage, right? But I want to tell you this. Sausage gravy, the omelet, the best part of it was talking to my brother, Vern. Interacting with him. That's why we hang out in small groups. That's why Laurel does a Prius, the hybrid. Right? Thanks for laughing at that. Hmm. I want to be in the light. And Proverbs twelve seven says to me, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens to another. I want to interact with God's people. How are you doing at that? How are you doing walking in the light? Have you chosen personally to humble yourself and find forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you turned away from darkness and said, I know that doesn't match? That would be a bad combination, that with Jesus. And are you learning to follow him? I want to pray that we would all be doing that. So let's unite our hearts together in prayer. You want to stand while we pray? If you're comfortable doing so, let's do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are glad to be gathered together this morning and we are thankful for your presence with us. We come to you at this moment of prayer and would just ask that we would have a profound sense of our need for light, that we would find forgiveness in Christ once and for all and know that he has died for us and as we have turned from darkness toward light, may we walk in the light and follow him. I pray for different ones of us, <laughs> and, and, and probably all of us would say this is true at different times in our life, that we kind of like the dark. We kind of like playing with things that are unhealthy and unholy, and I would ask that you will forgive us for those things, and we would turn away from that darkness, because we long to bathe in the glory of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.